Welcome to the Semper Reformato Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. So tonight I want to ask you a question. Where does saving faith come from? We know that in order to be a Christian believer, in order to be saved by God's grace, we need to have faith. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Where does saving faith come from? During the week, I was having a conversation with my wife. It's a thing I do now and again, but not very often. And um, if you're ever in a restaurant and you see a man and a woman sitting at a table and they're not talking to each other, the very great likelihood is that they're married. And when you've been married, like me, for about 45 years, you've said everything that needs to be said. But I was sitting talking to her and I said to her, Something about a friend of ours whose close relative had just passed away. And she was allegedly an atheist. My response to her was, but there's no such thing as a deathbed atheist. Sure there's not. I said it as a kind of a stock response. Something that I have heard said, and I repeated it to her mindlessly, without even thinking about it. It presumes that when the end of life comes, an atheist will realize that there's a God and repent of their sins. Or at least fear the God that they're one day soon going to meet. But after I'd said it, I started to think about it. And I began to think to myself, I'm quite sure that's not actually true. I'm sure that there are people who are deathbed atheists. In fact, I'm sure I've met one or two. Let me explain why. Because there's a reason why those who are outside of Christ are so callous towards the things of God and so heedless of the gospel message. Why they disregard the things of God and why they ignore the weighty matters of eternity. And it is that they are in their natural person, in their natural sense, by nature, dead in trespasses and sins. So I want to direct your attention for a moment or two this evening to verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul makes this clear. He says, but the natural man, and let me include the natural woman in that as well, but he's talking about mankind. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In this passage, Paul's going to talk about two different characters. About, on the one hand, the spiritual man, the person who has been brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as opposed to the natural man, the person who is outside the covenant of grace, the person who, to all intents and purposes, is living for himself, 
living for the things of this life, for what looks attractive, for what feels good, for what tastes good, for what sounds good to him. And that person, says Paul, cannot hear or feel spiritual things. He or she simply cannot understand or comprehend. Of course, Paul's conclusion is that the reason for that is the unregenerate man or woman is dead in trespasses and sins and totally incapable of any saving understanding whatsoever of spiritual matters. About ten years ago, I was invited to give a lecture to a class on the Savoy Declaration. It's the subordinate standard of congregationalism. It is to congregational churches what the Westminster Confession is to Presbyterian churches and what the Baptist Confession is to the folks who gather here. And I was to give this lecture and I was to talk from the Savoy Declaration about the source of saving faith. And I began to talk to them and it became apparent to me that most of them were evangelicals who believed that what saves you is that you make your personal decision for Christ. So I turned them to this very important passage. I'm going to invite you to turn to just now. Ephesians chapter 2. Passage that we use quite a lot in teaching on this subject. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. I want you to read down it with me and see what Paul says by where saving faith comes from. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. That's the natural man is every single one of us. In the lusts of our flesh, that's simply the desires that we want to do following our own will, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So there is a description again of what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians the natural man, the way that we are born, born in sin. Then comes verse 4 where we see an intervention. Now look where the intervention comes from. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Now, I asked the class in that lecture, who's passive and who's active in these verses? And you see them. Think about that as we read them. God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, 
by God's unmerited favor, no uh, worth or worthiness of our own. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together. Who's doing the work here? Who is active and who is passive? Hath raised us up together and made us sit together. Who's doing it? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Who is doing it? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I read through that passage, and they looked at me, and I said, I'll tell you what, let's have a quiz. We'll make it easy. Let's have a quiz. Let's ask some questions and you put your hands up as soon as you find an answer. Tell me what dead people can do. Can they talk? No. Can they think? No. Can they walk? No. Can they, of their own volition, get up out of the coffin and walk out of the room? No, of course they can't. Can they decide anything? Can they make decisions of their own volition? Because in that passage we read together, the natural man is described as being dead. You hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people don't make decisions. Dead people just lie there. Somebody else has to make the decision for them. And so all through that passage, God is the doer, and the sinner is passive the whole way through. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. When he says, but the natural man, that's as we are born by nature and practice, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We're talking here about spiritual dullness to the extent that we are dead in our trespasses. Paul's talking about the natural man. It's the soulish man. It's about the psyche, the psychikos, and the person who has not experienced the call of God to salvation and the awakening of the Holy Spirit upon his life is described here as this soulish man, the man who is the natural man. And the natural man cannot receive, says Paul, the things of God. He can't understand them because of his natural state. Every single one of us that are born into this world because of our present condition. For anyone who is outside of Christ is condemned already. Jesus talked about this too. 
John chapter 12 and verse 40. He says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted that I should heal them. So look at the awful results of that state of nature that we're in. We are dead. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, Paul says to be carnally minded. That's simply to be minded after the natural man, after our natural state is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We're blind. He hath blinded our eyes and hardened our hearts, said Jesus. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4, Paul talks about how the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. And we are worthless sinners before God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And we are alienated from God in Romans 8 and verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. And we are lost in our sins in Romans chapter 8. But ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And all of that causes us in our natural state to be unable to receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Think about your neighbor, your your unbelieving friends and relatives, loved ones, people in this natural state. Think how they misunderstand the scriptures. They think that the Bible is outdated. That it's just a book of myths or fables. It'd be a book for old people like me. Or for theologians or philosophers. Maybe it's full of contradictions and problems. and They persuade themselves that this old book has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with us. They never dream of opening God's word. A close relative of mine some time ago was having their marriage vows renewed. They'd been 50 years married and they rang me up and said, look, we're, we're having a renewal of vows. And being the understanding romantic type, I said, why have you been unfaithful? Oh, no, no, no. I just thought it'd be nice. I said, right. And why are you telling me? Well, I thought you might like to come. He's a very close relative. I, I, I can't understand why I'd want to come. Uh, and, and we thought maybe you'd like to do something in the ceremony. Would you like to do a wee reading or something? Of course I would. Say it's you. Um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to put down some conditions first. Okay. What's the conditions? I've not taken part with a woman minister. 
I knew that because the church that they went to had a woman minister. Oh, why not? Uh, because the Bible says that leadership in the church and eldership is confined to men. No offense to ladies, but there's one job they can't do. They can do just about everything else better than men, but they're not allowed to preach. Oh, says this relative of mine. I don't think that would be a good idea, telling our minister that. Anyway, she says, where did you hear that? I said, says it in God's word. Oh, she says, sure, the Bible's outdated. It's out of date. You have to keep up with the times, you see. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. They misunderstand the scriptures and they misunderstand the Christian life and they simply cannot fathom why a person would want to go to church. They simply can't understand why you'd want to come and sit and sing psalms of praise and pray prayers and listen to some old fellow like me standing talking to you for three quarters of an hour or more. Well, that's not going to happen, sure it's not. Can't understand why you'd want to do that when you could be at home looking after the house or walking the dog or going to the park or the shopping centre. And they misunderstand the way of salvation. The natural man seems to think that all that you need to do in order to get to heaven is to be a decent person and to try your best or, or be christened or go to church and they seldom pause to consider that Christ died for the ungodly and that simple logic will dictate that if you could get to heaven by your own works, what was the point of God sending his own son into this world to die for sinners? And they misunderstand the Christian himself or herself. The natural man or woman used to talk about Christians as being good living people. Maybe nowadays they'd say worse. When the reality is that the Christian is someone who has realized that they are anything but good. That they are wretched, worthless sinners who have cast themselves on the Lord for salvation. So Romans 8 and verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Now that's a challenge for Christians, isn't it? That's a challenge for Christians. How do we reach the lost if they do not understand the things of God? How do we reach the lost if they are dead and unresponsive? Because dead people are unresponsive. How do we reach unresponsive people and bring them to Christ? How do we do evangelism if we're talking to people who are unable to receive, says Paul, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them? How do we reach these people? That's a challenge. The sinners are utterly helpless in their sins. How do we bring them to Christ? And the first answer has to be 
if we don't do it by natural methods, do we? Don't bring people to Christ by becoming what they are. There's a great movement in America at the minute, and I suppose here too, where people go out into the area and they ask non-Christian people, what do you think church should be like? And they then fashion a church that suits them. They call it, what is it, seeker sensitivity. They become what the ungodly want them to be. We can't help them by natural means. We can't educate them to come to Christ. We can't coax them to come to Christ. We can't ritualize them or sacramentalize them to come to Christ. There must be a spiritual answer. So how does a person come to Christ? It is only according to that passage that we read in Ephesians, it is only if the Spirit of God takes a dealing in their life It is only if God, through his Holy Spirit, awakens them to their need of salvation. It is only if the Spirit does the work, the initial work, because in salvation, in the act of salvation, God is active and man is passive. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25, question 65, asks us, Since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits, where does this faith come from, this saving faith? The answer is from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts and here's the answer for us who believe as far as evangelism is concerned who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments the visual aids that point us to Christ. If only the Holy Spirit of God can awaken the sinner, then we must pray for sinners. It is a spiritual work. It is spiritual warfare. We must pray for sinners. We must witness to sinners. We must bring sinners under the sound of the gospel. For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as believers, we must pray for preachers to be faithful to God's word. Conversion from beginning to end is God's sovereign work. It's not something that the sinner can do on their own. It is the Lord who saves souls. Our task in the conversion of sinners is simply to be faithful and to proclaim God's word and to pray for the lost. May God bless his word.
May we see our true role in the conversion of sinners. It is to engage simply in spiritual warfare that the Lord himself would break into the heart of natural people, people who are lost and in their sin, and awaken them to their need of salvation and draw them to himself and bring them to the cross so that they will respond to the work that has been done within them by repenting of their sins and trusting Christ. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.